You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. In Luke uh, chapter 13, verse 6. This is a, a parable of Jesus. So it's Luke 13, starting in verse 6. I'm just going to read a couple verses. And uh, it's a parable that Jesus has to tell about planting things. And, and we live in a society where we don't have to plant very many things, right? Does anyone know how to plant anything? No, you don't have to learn. You just go to Home Depot. They'll tell you what to do. And if you kill the tree, you can bring it back and get a return. We live in a great world. But back in Jesus' day, there weren't any Home Depots. And so he was telling a parable to people that would really understand it because, because people back then planted things. And I don't mean to make fun of you. Maybe you are a botanist or you know how to plant things or you love gardening. So if that, that would be the exception, though. Here's the parable. Listen carefully. It's a parable of Jesus. Luke 13, verse 6, it says, He told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So can you imagine this picture? There's a, there's a vineyard, a, fruit, uh, a, a fig tree in that vineyard, and he went to look for fruit, but there's no fruit. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this tree and haven't found any. Cut it down! Exclamation point. Why should it use up the soil? So you see, Jesus is telling this parable, and this fruit tree, it's been three years. This thing should have been bearing fruit three years ago, and yet for three years it hasn't bared any fruit. But, but he says, sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and I'll fertilize it. If, it. if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. And I think this passage portrays something. It's a parable of Jesus. To, it's, a, it's about the fig tree, but it has more to do with the kingdom of God. And I think it has some, some importance here is, is placed upon the fruit. And some importance here is placed upon the grace of God saying, let's let it, let's let it keep growing for another year and see what happens. But if it doesn't bear fruit, then, then fruit is important. We will cut it down if it doesn't have any fruit. And today we're going to talk about works and grace. We're going to explain this, this very um, important theological idea. So, let's pray. God, we do thank you right now for, for, for the knowledge you give us in the Bible. God, we thank you this morning that we can come together and learn about how salvation works. We can study it. We can look at scriptures. We don't have to guess about what you want or what you need or what you require from us to be saved. You make it very clear that it is salvation by grace. And, and, and out of that salvation, what we will do good works. And God, as we study that and really d- dive into that, the context of grace and works, God, be with us. Open our, open our hearts and mind. Open my heart to, to learn more, to, to understand how salvation uh, is, is works. And so, God, we, we love you and praise you this morning. We give you all honor. And everybody screamed. Amen. Amen. Um, Pretty good screaming today. Thank you. Uh, when I was a kid, I've, I've may have told this story before, and I think it's very valuable. At least it's it's my own story of how I missed the point of salvation. But when I was a kid, I, I grew up Catholic, and I went to Sunday school every Sunday. And by every Sunday, I mean every Sunday. My parents, as a, as a little kindergartner, my parents brought me to Sunday school every day. Every not every day. <laughs> 
excuse me, every Sunday, but we never missed a, a day. And at the end of the year, I had a perfect attendance of that year. I came to church, parents kind of uh, made me, uh, they didn't quite drag me, I, I liked Sunday school as a kid. And so uh, I came to church, and at the end of that, I got a reward, and I got recognized in front of the whole church. Look, little Joey Kirkendall, he, he didn't miss Sunday school, he has perfect attendance. And then the next year rolls around, first grade, then the next year, second grade rolls around, and I had perfect attendance growing up. Do you know how many years of perfect attendance I had? Almost more than six. I think I used to tell the story, and I said six before, so if you remember that, that's actually really good. If you're just guessing, then it's a good guess. But I, my brother, my brother had six years of perfect attendance. I had ten years, a decade of perfect attendance at Sunday school. And so I, maybe it's something inside of me, like as, like as a kid, like the Sunday school thing, that now I am the Mill Sunday school pastor. And it's just, it's just my whole life I've been going, I've never missed my entire life <laughs> Sunday school. But I remember as a kid, and, here, and here's the point to this little story, um, because I enjoyed as a kid getting the reward. And in Catholic church, coming forward and the altar at a Catholic church is usually very decorated. The priest wears long robes. He's a man of God. You don't just call him a pastor. You call him a priest. You actually refer to him as father so-and-so, their last name. And it's a very majestic. There's stained glass. It's, it's beautiful. When you come to the front of the altar in a Catholic church, you're supposed to kneel down and show reverence to, to the front of the church. And, and when I came to the front of the church all those years, 10 times I came to the front of the church to receive the reward and sometimes it was, it was a bigger reward every year. I got a Bible one year. I got like a pennant one year. I got a silver medallion thing one year. Just these rewards for having perfect attendance. And I remember, especially as a, as a, as a younger kid, like second, third, fourth grade, coming to the front of the church and just thinking like, this is like the presence of God himself. And I just felt so honored that, that I got to go up and, and get this... Uh, reward for for having perfect attendance in Sunday school. And if you would have asked me as a little kid, hey, little Joey Kirkendall, what? And then you're like, "Uh, uh, what do you think about heaven? Why why do you think you're going to heaven? Why do you think you're saved? I would have told you, maybe you haven't heard, but I'm pretty much a legend around here. I haven't missed Sunday school for 10 years. That's what I'm bringing to God. I mean, this, this like, man, I am, the, and people would pat me on the back and be like, dude, that's Joe Kirkendall. He's in your Sunday school class. He hasn't missed Sunday school in how many years? Like, wow, that's awesome. Little Joey Kirkendall, he's so cool. He always goes to Sunday school. And that, in my head, I was just like, yeah, that's, that's what I do. That's what I'm bringing to the Lord. That's why I'm good. That's why I'm going to heaven because I come to Sunday school and I have that checkbox. Not just that checkbox, but however many Sunday schools there were per year, times 10 checkboxes. That's a lot of checkboxes of good works. And I don't know how I missed it. Because in sixth grade, I had a really good teacher. It was, it was, a, it was a man and, and his wife, and they taught Sunday school for sixth grade. And they talked so clear. Looking back, they were like, we believe that Jesus alone saves us. And they talked about what being born again meant. And in this Sunday school, they talk about how it is by salvation. Salvation is by grace alone. If you believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven and you'll, you'll have salvation. And as a kid, I think that went in one ear and out the other ear. And I just thought, yeah, that's for, that's for regular people. But maybe you haven't heard about me. I, I had 10 years of Sunday school, perfect attendance. And, and, and I think it just went in one ear, like the salvation by Jesus alone went in one ear, out the other, and I 
never really got it that I was a sinner. Despite going to Sunday school for 10 years uh, and having perfect attendance, I was still a sinner needing salvation. And it was only by, <coughs> excuse me, only by Jesus that I would receive salvation. So I missed it. And, and last week, if you weren't here, it was Easter Sunday. We opened up this month as we're studying salvation, soteriology, the study of salvation. We opened it up with some, some of what I thought was pretty alarming statistics. Statistics? Thank you very much. Um, alarming statistics of uh, the Barna Research Group, this Christian group that, that surveys America, and they, they, they came to some conclusions about how many people said they were Christians. It, was, it turned out to be such and such a number. And then out of those people that claim to be Christians, so, so many of them said, oh, I'm a born-again Christian. And so out of all these people in America saying, I am a born-again Christian, and that the idea of being born again isn't just a political term that someone made up. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again to, to, to be saved, right? Right. And so out of, out of all the born again Christians, people that call themselves born again in America, listen to this. Only 55% of them said, I'm going to, I'm saved because of what Jesus Christ did. I'm saved because of my faith in Jesus Christ. The other half said, the other half of born-again Christians said, oh, I'm saved because I, I do good works, or I go to church, or everyone's saved, or I'm saved because I, I'm a, I go to Sunday school, <laughs> uh, and I haven't missed, I have a perfect attendance. For, for whatever reason, only half, about half, 55% of born-again Christians said they're saved because of what Jesus Christ did. And that's alarming to me, because that's the very foundation of how salvation works, Right? Amen. Thank you. So, we're going to dive into that today and talk about works and grace. Before we do that, if you're, if you're newish to the Mill Sunday School, we just want to welcome you. We say that there's free food in the back. If you didn't get any, you're, you're welcome to go get some free food and coffee. And uh, there's, there's welcome cards, I think, on the tables. Uh, there's a couple of them that just say, get schooled, uh, first-timer card. If you fill that out, and you can give it to me or the nice people in the back. When you leave, you get a CD of, of a sermon and some worship songs that we put together. And just our way of saying thanks. Things because we like new people, don't we? Yeah, we do. We love, we love people. And so we love Sunday school and we love when new people come to Sunday school. So let's dive into our talk today. In your notes are just a couple points. We're keeping it pretty simple today. If you got notes when you came in, uh, we call it the skillet. It's, uh, the first point says works. Do you see that point there? Works. I'm going to give you a definition. If you want to write it down, you can. This is a very, very broad definition that I think most most other religions would even agree to, as far as the definition goes. The definition of works, doing good deeds. Doing good deeds to gain the approval of a divine being. The definition of works, doing good deeds. And so that could be anything. Do, just doing good deeds, however you want to define that. Doing good deeds to gain the approval of a divine being. And so many religions have, have works as a part of their salvation works as a part of their religion, just doing good deeds to uh, gain the approval of a divine being. Like Buddhism, you might have a prayer wheel. You could, you could do prayers, and that works off bad karma so that you could have good karma. Um, <coughs> Hinduism, you could bow down and worship a, a golden idol of a god, or you can um, uh, do meditation or uh, yoga to, to work off bad karma. 
um, Muslims will, will pray five times a day, do good things in order to press, impress their God. Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they witness, they go door-to-door evangelism in order to do, to do enough good things for, for salvation. They have to do those things. And in Christianity, there are works involved. And so we're going to talk about works, and then we're going we're gonna to go to grace in, in a little while and, and the, the combination of those two things. But... <coughs> I'm going to give you a set of, of, of a lot of verses. One, two, three, four, five-ish. There are quite a, quite a few verses. This first one, if you just want to write it down and look at it later, because I'm just going to start reading it. Probably won't have time to turn there. It's Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but uh, now, much more in the absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Have you heard that verse before? It's a pretty popular verse. This idea of working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You, you have salvation, but work it out. Continuing on. If you want to turn to this, this passage, you can. We're going to spend a, a couple more seconds in it than the other one. It's James 2. And this is a, even more of a famous passage about works. The book of James is after Hebrews book of Hebrews is hard to find. Here it is. Got it. Uh, James chapter 2. I'm going to read from 14 to 22. So if you want to turn to this one, you can. James 2, 14. And, and it starts off with a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is? It's a question that you're not really supposed to answer. It's like, isn't it beautiful or isn't it gloomy outside? Of course, the answer is, yeah, it's gloomy outside. And then I, I would go on to be making a point about how gloomy it is outside. But I don't really want you to answer the question. It's just I want you to think about it. And, yeah, it's gloomy out. And, and so in the same way, rhetoric is, a, is an ancient way of communicating. And it's very popular in the Roman period when, when this book of James was written by Jesus' brother. is named James. We think that he wrote this book as one of the pastors in Jerusalem. And he writes uh, uh, this, and he, he gives a rhetorical question in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my bros? What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Question mark. That's a rhetorical question. He doesn't actually want the the readers of this book to write him back a letter and say, yeah, the answer to your question there is is a yes or a no. he's, he's, He's just asking it. He wants you to think about it. And so usually a rhetorical question has an obvious yes or it has an obvious no answer. So I want to ask you, is it an obvious yes or is it an obvious no answer to the question, if a man has faith, he believes, but he doesn't have deeds, good works, can such a faith save him? Is that a yes or a no answer? Let's look at the context. Verse 15 says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. They're in rags. They're hungry. Verse 16, And if one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well. Keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? It's no good. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is just dead. Yeah, faith. If it's not accompanied by action, it's it's a dead kind of faith. In verse 18, continuing on, this is deep stuff here. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, I will show you my faith by what I do. And then this statement, which has always surprised me that it's in here. It says, you believe that there's one God, 
good exclamation point even the demons believe that and shudder so demons they 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 know that there's a god but they're, they're god's enemy so just knowing that there's a god believing in god is that enough to to save you no even the demons believe that they they shudder they have respect for god and then verse 20 he gets he gets pretty upset with whoever's reading this i guess it's me you foolish man it's me i guess do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And he gives the example. Was not our, Abraham, was not our ancestor Abraham, the, the dude in Genesis, considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And so as we're talking about works here, this passage is probably one of the hardest passages I know about um, when it comes to this idea of, of works and, and, and grace. Because so often I think as Christians, I know that I would lean to more, more towards, oh, it's, it's all about grace. It's all about grace. No works needed. And then James says some pretty hard things about if you don't have the deeds, then, then, then maybe your faith isn't, it's a dead faith that you have. And we're going to look at, at more about grace in a minute, but I want to give you one more verse before asking you a discussion question, which is the, the, the conclusion of this whole conversation that James is having with the reader. And it goes down to verse 26, James 2:26, kind of the ending, the, the bullet point of this, um, of this section. It says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Like a body without a spirit. So if your spirit's gone, you're just a body. And we take bodies and, and we bury them in cemeteries and, and we put tombstones on them, but that's dead if they don't have the, a spirit, a living thing inside of them. And so just in, this, in that same way, a faith without deeds is dead. And so here's the discussion question I want to ask you. As we're, and we just talked about works, just read a bunch of, of verses about the importance of works. We're going to get to grace in a minute. Don't, don't be scared because uh, there is this balance and this understanding of how grace and works can come together. But I want to ask you this discussion question. And you can think about it on your own or you can turn to some, some people around you if you're sitting at tables and, and there's some cool people around you. You could discuss this question and say, what if you had a friend? Many of you are like, yeah, <laughs> great. Everybody knows somebody. Just kidding. If you, if you need friends, keep coming to Sunday school, and you'll, you'll make them, I, I guarantee, because we've got really nice people in here. But say you have a friend, and this friend isn't a good friend, though. He, he comes to church on Sunday, or he or she comes to church on Sunday, and you see him on Sunday, and maybe they're, they're members of New Life, and, and you see them maybe at the front raising their hands and jumping around and, and listening to the sermons, and maybe they, they carry a Bible. It seems like they're doing good. It seems like, oh, they're, they're Christian, they come to church uh, every, every Sunday or so, and they, they maybe, maybe they lift their hands and worship, and you think they're, they're pretty serious about their belief. But then here's, you, you find out that this friend of yours and maybe, and maybe you're pretty close friends. Maybe you're related to them. Maybe you've grown up with them. Maybe you're in the same small group as, along with coming to church on Sunday. And so you know them pretty well. And you find out that they have like another life. They have a church life where they, they put on a, a church face and they bring their Bible and they raise their hand in worship. But then they have another life when they hang out with other friends. And you find out that uh, just just to, as an example, maybe they go to parties, maybe they drink a lot of alcohol, maybe they sleep around, maybe even even more than those things, they, they steal stuff. They go into stores and they steal what they want and uh, they, they, um, they, they cuss and make crude jokes. They're just kind of a bad person when they're not at church, so much so that they, they don't even... 
if, if you saw them hanging around those people and doing those things I mentioned as an example, they don't even have a reverence towards God. It's like they have two different worlds, two different lives, and they come to church on, at once on the Sunday, but then the rest of their week is, is filled with what I just mentioned, sin, and they, they don't even have a reverence, it seems. So here's the question for you. The question is, what would you say to that friend? Could you say that they are not saved? That's, that's the question. Could you look your friend in the eye and say, I, listen, I know you kind of have two lives here. What's going on? You kind of listen to them. And could you, as they explain that, that they, they're perfectly fine with where they're at and they don't see anything wrong with what they're doing, could you say, hey, you know, you're probably not saved. Could you say that? So that's the discussion question I want you to think about. Got it? Think about it, discuss, write it down, and, and then we'll, we'll pass the mics around and, and get, do a quick, big discussion in a second. Ready, get set, go. mind uh, and, and maybe some people at your table can help you if like oh they said something really good then point to them and then they could they could <laughs> put them on the spot that's what Sunday school is all about just kidding uh would you please like to share your your some thoughts yeah this table has two two people oh just one revelation three oh, i got a verse 15 good. got it I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, I think that verse pretty much describes the situation that that person is living in. Yeah. Uh, they think that they're okay, but it's, it's very obviously lukewarm. It's very obviously not making a stand to change things in their life one way or the other. They, they're, they're not going to change that they're going to church, and they're not going to change that they're drinking or whatever on, on other days. Yeah. So I think that, that that just pretty well describes how God feels about a person in that situation. But so. Yeah, that's good. Thank you for sharing that verse. Other, other ideas? Yes, ma'am. Hi. Hello. <laughs> um, I was going to use myself kind of as an example. Um, when I first started coming back about four years ago, I was in that situation where I was just starting to come back to church. Yeah. Um, God was working in my heart, but I did spend every other night out clubbing and doing yeah. whatever. And it was God working in my heart, but I could tell that the sincerity of my heart wasn't there. Yeah. It took him impacting um, me on a daily life and coming to the realization that I was living an empty, hollow life. That finally, a couple months later, he basically, I guess, popped me upside the head and said, Hey, what are you doing? If you're in this, you're in this. Yeah. And at that point, I can say that's really when I dedicated my heart to God. Yeah. So I really believe it's the sincerity of faith. Is it really... What's going on inside of your heart? Can't really judge a person's salvation, but you can ask them, hey, are you sincere in this? Is this real for you, or is this just the motions? And yeah. let God impact them. Yeah. 
So I hear you saying it, it was a journey for you and cu- coming into a life of holiness. And thank you for sharing that. It's very open of you to, sh- to share your own story. That th- this idea of you, you come to Christ and, and you don't have to be perfect when you come to him. You come to him as you are and he makes you holy from the inside out. And uh, anybody else? Yes. Oh, I praise the Lord for that testimony. I went Amen. through a similar situation. But um, uh, just being unsatisfied yeah. and getting tired and just inauthentic. But I, uh, I think a lot of people just need to know God's love more. Because if they knew that love, they're looking for love. They aren't getting their need to be loved met. And like, so if, they, if they're like going out and clubbing, you know, people are looking for love. Going drinking, love. Smoking weed is love. Um, relationships, looking for love in all the wrong places. But it's yeah. just, it takes time. Like, because like, you just have to get sick and tired of, and just like, I'm tired of this, you know. I'm, I mean, I used to work in Hollywood doing bad things. I haven't yeah. shared with you that, Joe. But, but um, I used to be a go-go dancer. And I know, I know. Like, like I decided to go out there. And, yeah. and, and, and it just like, and I felt God's presence with me while I was the boom, boom, boom song, whatever. Um, and, and, and what happened was, uh, well, I had money in my whatever. And, and, and I was like, I was like, uh, God spoke to me and he says, Keith, I will never leave you, forsake you. Yeah, and I just stopped and I was shocked and, and I was like, it was one step. And so I just, uh, I re- I'm just seeking his, uh, my, I'm learning to receive God's love and yeah. that love thing. And so I think, I don't know what my status was at that time. I don't think it was good at all because I was, but I, yeah. I also was looking for love. Thanks, and so that's it. Yeah, that's, it's, it's amazing that there are verses in the Bible that talk about people that had such a sinful life. And, and it lists some of those kinds of people by name, it says liars, the people that cheated, the people that murdered. And yet all of those people at the end of this statement that Paul says, he says, that is what some of you were, but now you've been washed and you've been cleaned and you've been sanctified. And so I think to, to, to have this conversation about a friend, and you guys, thank you so much for sharing your own story from a personal perspective. Uh, I, th- I thought it would be easier to talk about someone else. It's like you see someone else's life, and are they saved? Are they still struggling through that? It's, it's, um, it's, it's not a clear answer, I think, is what we're beginning to see, that, that, there, that there's things that we all struggle with and, and are, are on the road to salvation that God is continually working in our heart. And so to say, to look at someone else is kind of this point that I kind of thought of in my head. To look at someone else and and judge their salvation may not be for us to do. That's God's way. But I think as as a friend, and so going back to the situation of your friend is is struggling with with deep sins and not caring about the struggle at all, I think we have a place to to converse with them and to ask them to say, listen, I'm not going to tell you that you don't have salvation because we're saved by grace, but yet at the same time, maybe there's so your salvation may be in jeopardy, is that, if that's a correct way to word that. I think we have one more person with the mic. Yeah, Matt, go ahead. Well, building off of what you just finished saying, it, it is definitely one of those things where it's not up for us to determine. It's up for God to determine. And yeah. from all, everywhere else in Scripture, God always looks at the heart. He always looks at your intent and your goal behind it. So 
maybe when a person is first saved, I know that uh, a friend of my dad, uh, um, when he first became saved, he would still cuss and swear and look, had all sorts of pornographic pictures all over the walls of his workplace and stuff like that. But yeah. he was constantly moving towards God still and all of it. And eventually one day the pornographic pictures came down and the cussing stopped. And it was really a truly a work of grace in his life. But yeah. you, you can't just get comfortable just being like, oh, well, God's still working on me. So if I do this and this and this and that, and well, I suppose that too, that, that's not really a safe place to be at life where you're trying to justify everything. You should be constantly moving towards a closer relationship with God. And yeah. just as like a general rule of thumbs, uh, if you're a Christian on Sunday and not any other time, then do you plan on dying on Sunday or any other time? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you probably want to die on Sunday. Um, let's look at, uh, and we, if you come next week, we're going to talk about this, the process of salvation. We're going to use big words, but then define them. Words like justification, sanctification, glorification, and that salvation process. That's next week. It seems like that, that's been a continual theme that, that has just come up here in our discussion. But I want to, I want to, let's jump into this grace idea and then, and then go into grace and works. And I looked up grace. I went to dictionary.com and I found that there are 13 pretty different definitions of what grace is. Sometimes it's used in like, oh, we're about to, to eat our meal. Let's say grace. You could say, so it's, not, it's like a prayer is grace. Or you could say uh, that grace is, it's an act of goodwill. It's an act of mercy. You could say that uh, that, that woman is very graceful. And, and, and by that you would mean, oh, maybe she's beautiful. She does things eloquently. And so it's, it's this meaning that has th- this word, grace, that has lots of different definitions. And in the, in the, in the Greek, the word is charis or charit, charity. Charity. That sounds really cool. Or charis. And, and really the Greek ha- has some of those implications as well. But I really like the word good favor. I guess it's two words. That, that grace is good favor. Like a, a gift. And the, in the Greek this idea of grace has to do with giving a gift and a good favor. And so one of my favorite verses about grace is Ephesians 2.8. And on the back of your skillet, on the back of your notes, I put this as the sweet quote of the day, and I put it in the King James Version, because I kind of like the way it sounds in the King James Version. And you can read it there in the King James Version. I'm going to read it for us in the NIV version of the Bible. Ephesians 2.8 says, and so many of you have this memorized, it's it's a verse that can be memorized and and, and thought about, about how we are saved. It has so much theology in this one little verse. And it says, for it is by grace, and, and to use the word, to use the word good, good favor, it's by God's good favor, it's by God's gift that you've been saved through faith, not by your own works. And this, the, the faith that you have, is not even from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Isn't that verse awesome? It's by grace you've been saved, not through your, through your works, not trying to be good enough, not trying to, to figure it out on your own. The, the good news is that you don't have to, you know, you can you stop trying to work. You don't have to have 10 years of perfect attendance at Sunday school. I mean, if, you ha- if that's the requirement for salvation, 
I'd be going to heaven. But how many, I mean, how, that's, if that was the requirement, that's so strict. And that's something that I, I, as a kid, I don't even, I can't even get the credit for that. That was really my parents. I mean, I didn't drive. I didn't bring myself to church as a two, to a second grader. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but it's by grace that we've been saved. God's gift, God's good favor on us that we've been saved. Here's another verse. And this, this verse I read earlier. Remember the verse about working out your salvation? Continue. Uh, Philippians 2.12 says, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Remember that verse? We, we just read it. The rest of that verse, the, the context is, uh, verse 13, For it is God who works in you to... to to will and to act according to his good purposes. So, so work out your salvation, but it's God doing the work inside of you. Romans 10.9, this is a, another cool verse. Right, just write down Romans 10.9 and go back to it and look at it sometime because it, it is the, the equation, if you will, for salvation. And yet the equation is so simple. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll be saved. Verse 10, for it is with your heart that you believe and you're justified and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. If you want, you could turn to this passage in in Luke 23. This is the story of the thief on the cross. And so many of us, when we're having, I know if if you've been a Christian a while, you've probably thought through this grace and works scenario. And so often it comes back to such a simple story of a thief on a cross next to Jesus who, who says, remember me in your kingdom. And, 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 and Jesus says, you'll be with me in paradise. Let's look at that story. Luke 23, it says that, uh, verse 32, Luke 23, 32, said that two men, both criminals, were led out with him, with Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the, the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And, and Skippy, it's, it goes on to say that they divided his clothing. Uh, people gambled on Jesus' clothing right there, and they put a thorn uh, of crowns on his head. Skip down to verse 39. It says, where one of the criminal, criminals who hung there, <coughs> excuse me, hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's, he's mocking him. He's just hurling insults. But the other criminal rebuked that criminal and said, Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for, and we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, the man in between them, he has done nothing wrong. It's Jesus. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with, with me in paradise. Isn't that salvation story very simple? The, the, the criminal, the thief, whatever he did, maybe he murdered, who knows, just looked at Jesus and said, remember me in your kingdom. I, I believe that, that you have a kingdom, I, I, so remember me when you're in it. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me there in paradise. D.L. Moody, an evangelist in the 1800s, said this, and I think it's really cool, about the thief on the cross. He said, the thief had hands, excuse me, the thief had nails through his hands, both of them, so that he could not work and a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot towards his salvation, and yet Christ offered him the gift of God, and he took it. So this idea, he didn't have time to to do any good deed. 
He didn't have time to get down and get baptized. He didn't have time to get down and lead someone else to the Lord. He didn't have time to get down and uh, go, go to church or, or um, to give alms to the poor or to do anything. He was nailed to a cross. He looked to Jesus for salvation and Jesus granted him salvation because of his belief. This belief in God, this belief in him and Jesus for our salvation is what is how the economy of ethics works. And so that brings us to this next point in our notes, this last point. It says God's economy of ethics. Economy meaning the, the regulation of the parts or functions of any organic whole, a, a organized system or, uh, or method. And the economy of ethics for God, basically it's this question of how do we become righteous? How do we get into the kingdom of God? How does it work? And this guy that lived a long time ago, has anybody ever heard of Aristotle? He lived a really long time ago. He, he wrote a book called Ethics, and <coughs> he wrote that um, how, how ethics works, how, how something is good, how something becomes good. He lived in a 300 B.C. era, and he, he said a lot of cool things that were way before his time, and he wrote a lot of books. He was a very brilliant man, obviously. I mean, we still know about him today as this great Greek philosopher, this great Greek scientist and thinker. And he said a lot of things that were very way before his time, and he also said some things that were kind of wrong, like he thought that uh, everything in existence was earth, wind, fire, water, for example. And so, like, a bagel would be part earth, because it came from wheat, and they got the wheat and the flour, but it would also be part air, because it's fluffy, and, and the bagel would also, if it's warm, like if you put it in the toaster, then it comes out, and it's hot, so it's like part fire as well. Aristotle. So silly. Yeah. So Aristotle was kind of off in the, in the whole what things are made of. Turns out there's 118 elements. Psst, silly Aristotle. Remember the, like the periodic tables, like, hello, oxygen, nitrogen, carbon, helium, you know, the inert gases. Like, what was Aristotle thinking? Anyways, he was wrong about that. Um, and he was wrong about something else because he, he says that, and it kind of makes sense, but it's, it's, it's wrong as, as, as God's economy for ethics and how things are made good, how things are made righteous. Aristotle said this, he says, uh, what makes something good is what it does. If, if someone's a good person, then, then they are good because they've done good things. You do a bunch of good things, you're going to be considered a good person. He said, it goes beyond that and says, an eye is good if the eye sees good. If it's a good eye, it sees good, then it's a good eye. If the ear hears and it's working, then it's, then it's a good ear. But that's, that's how Aristotle thought, which, which it does make sense. But in God's economy of ethics, God is the one who takes a blind eye and makes it see. God is the one who, who gives life to something that has death. God is the one who proclaims us righteous when we were not. And he makes us righteous from the inside out. There's that verse in Romans, Romans 5.8, if you want to write it down and look at it later. It says, God demonstrates his own love for, this, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Christ declares us righteous before we do any righteous act. We just believe on him for our righteousness. He makes us righteous and we are. God says it, we are. 
whether we've done something good or not, whether we had time, like the thief on the cross, to get down and go do 10 years of perfect Sunday school attendance or not, you're made righteous by your faith. That's how the economy of ethics works in God's kingdom. So the point, if you're writing down points, don't miss this point. Um, you can write it down. This is the main point for today's lesson, is that we are saved by grace through faith. Just like that verse in Ephesians. We're saved by grace through faith, comma, and good works are an indicator of this. So if you're writing that statement down, this is the big point of today's lesson, how, how grace and, and, and works, how, how that plays out for salvation. We are saved by grace through faith, and good works are an indicator of this. And that is, to be honest, we can write that down and we can see it and we can know that in our head, but we are wired to associate good works with, with being a part of salvation. It's, it's like, you know, somebody can question their salvation. Someone makes a bunch of mistakes and they're on, on a wrong path and they'll, they'll sit down and they'll question their salvation. But no one questioned, let's say someone just read, you know, the book of Romans. I just read the book of Romans. I completed this thing. Or I just read the book of Genesis. I completed this, this task. No one questions their salvation after doing a good thing. No one questions their salvation after, I just gave a lot of money to the poor. I'm such a great guy. I, I, they don't question. You don't question your salvation after, after doing good acts. And yet we question our salvation when, when we've messed up. And, and, and that's not how it works, though. So in our head, we can know that we're saved by grace through faith. And, and that good works come out of that on, on their own. And yet we can still struggle day to day thinking, am I really saved? Do I really, or, or you'll try to work for salvation. I, I got to do enough good things to try to impress God. And we have such feelings about what God must think about us because of what we've done or what we haven't done, whether it's good or bad. I think our Christian lives are going to be a battle with legalism. This, this thought that, oh, they're, we're not, I'm not living up to God's standards. I need to do this so that God will be happy with me. Now listen, God's happy with you. He, he declares you righteous for believing in him. Or, or, or we'll struggle with the other extreme. And it's like, oh, well, where, where grace is, then, then, then you know, God just covers, covers it over with his, with his blood. And so it doesn't matter what I do on the weekends. God's going to cover that. It doesn't matter if I even care, if I even repent. God's going to cover that because... He's declared me righteous and I could do whatever I want whenever I want. And that's a, that's a, a tendency to, to, to lean and let sin abound. So there's this tension between legalism. It's like, I've got to work out my salvation and feel good about myself and know that I'm saved. It's like, no, that's, you're not saved by your works. Or there's the other side that says, I've been saved by grace so I could just hang out and, and party it up and do whatever I want without regret because grace has has covered that. And those are two extremes, obviously. And I think every one of us are somewhere in, in between that, of, of having our own struggles with, with, with legalism or letting sin abound. And I remember, just to close with this story, I remember as a, as a high schooler, I had 10 years, as I keep mentioning, in case you haven't been here, 10 years of perfect Sunday school attendance as a kid. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty much a legend around here. Um, 
anyways, uh, as a kid, I had 10 years, and, and, and my parents were in the Air Force. My dad was in the military. We moved. We happened to move to Germany, which is pretty cool. We got stationed at American Air Force Base and uh, had, had American school, had American church, uh, etc. And uh, when, when we moved there, I, after, after my 10 years of perfect attendance, I, uh, I, I started going to the church there, and, and I started going to church at a, at a Protestant youth group instead of a Catholic youth group, just because the Protestants had more fun. <laughs> That's really the only reason. It's like, man, they play games here. The Catholic church, uh, I don't know what they do, but the, the, the Protestant church, they play games. It's like, I was into the games. And I got invited. And, and I remember the Protestant church was, was they, had, they had this, the, the youth pastor had this idea that he didn't want to talk about Jesus too much until the, the kids really knew who he was. He, he had this, I think, a really good intention. He had a lot of fruit in his ministry for, I want to become friends with, with the youth first. I want to hang out with them and go to their soccer games and, and, and build this relationship before, before throwing them into the deep end of the, of, this, of the why I'm really here and who Jesus is and how salvation and sin works. And, and <coughs> for him, it was... Um, he developed the youth group in such a way that you'd come to youth group and have a lot of fun, do some worship songs, do some fun things, and and then it really led up until uh, the camps. For for me, it was a it was a, the winter our winter retreat, this two night uh, weekend winter retreat, where I remember saying just casually, I was like, I think I want to go to that," and and people, the youth pastor, the the the, the leaders, were just like, "Oh wow, you're gonna come? Yes, that would be awesome if you came." And I was just like. Why are you so excited that I come to this? I kind of thought they were faking at first. Like, why are you so excited and happy? Um, because they knew that the salvation message was going to be proclaimed. And that's why they were happy. Because there was that maybe Joe Kirkendall would accept Christ. Because they're not really sure where I was at. And they're like, he comes and he likes the games. But, but is he living for the Lord? <laughs> and so they were excited when I... When I chose to go to the to the to the winter retreat, and at the winter retreat we 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 had uh, some skiing, some days of skiing. It was pretty fun. And then at night, the gospel message was proclaimed, and it was really the first time I had been going to Sunday school for ten years. I had perfect attendance, and it was really the first time that I heard the gospel message in a way that made sense to me. And it was such a simple analogy. The youth pastor just started talking about a courtroom. He said, "When you die." you're going to go to a courtroom. And he read some verses about how, you know, God is our judge. He's a, he's a righteous, he's a loving judge, but he is our judge. And so he painted this picture in my mind of, of when I die, there's going to be a, a throne room or whatever, and God's going to be sitting there as a judge. He's going to have a gavel in, and, and it's going to be a scene in heaven where they're going to say, uh, are, have you been guilty of sin or are you righteous enough to enter into heaven? And, and they, 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 he, the youth pastor, as I'm sitting there listening to this, painted this picture of, of, of these TVs. And these TVs are replaying all of your sins and all the mistakes that you've made. And, um, and I, I imagined, I, I think like just a, a couple of weeks ago, I, it was like Easter. And I had stolen money out of my brother's Easter basket. And so in my head, I'm like replaying like this grass being lifted and me taking the 20 out putting it in my pocket. And so like, so in my head, I was like this, looking at this screen in heaven of like this replay, like this YouTube replay of like me just like taking this money out of my brother's Easter basket I had stolen. And, and, the, and the youth pastor is ex- explaining that we've all sinned. And so imagine looking over your life at all the mistakes you've made. And I, I started to think about it. I was like, man, I, 
You know, I've done some good things, but I've also done some really bad things. And I've made mistakes, and I continue to make mistakes. I've stolen things, I've cheated, etc. And, and, and then he asked the question, have, were you guilty of those things? Is there enough evidence to declare you guilty of those sins? And I was just sitting, sitting there in this, in this youth group, in this winter retreat, thinking, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm guilty. What do, what do I do? Tell me what I need to do. And I had no idea... What, what I needed to do is like, yeah, I'm guilty. And then, and then he ended the night on that. He's like, okay, let's, let's think about that. Everybody go back to bed and see you tomorrow. And I remember that whole, the rest of that day, just thinking, what in, what in the world do I do? I'm, I'm guilty of these things. And then sure enough, like I was really, like God was really pushing on me. What am I going to do about this sin that, that's been in my life? And that next night, he, he, he started talking about Jesus in a way that I, I mean, that whole day I was just processing, what, what can I do? I need to do some more good things in order to cover over my bad things. And that next night he started off by saying, okay, you're in the courtroom, you're about to be declared guilty, but someone stands up. And that person that stands up is Jesus. And Jesus stands up and makes a, makes a claim. He says, I, says I, I lived a perfect life. I am actually God himself, and I came down to, to earth, and I lived a perfect life among you, and yet I was punished, and I was killed, even though I didn't sin. And the youth pastor made a, a big point about the wages of sin being death, and there's a verse in the Bible that says that, Romans six twenty three, And then, so I just, I remember that moment of just being like, oh yeah, Jesus, Jesus is the one who could take away my sins. I don't need to do enough good things. I don't need to keep working it out and, and, and trying to do more and more good things to cover over my bad things. Jesus has done the work for me. And as, as, a, as a high schooler, I was in 10th grade, and I just sat there thinking, oh my gosh, I've missed it. I, I, of course I want Jesus to cover over my sin. And, 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 and the, the youth pastor kept talking. He said, so God, instead of, so he looks at Jesus and, and asks you, do you want to believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? And, and the youth pastor says that, the, the, that God is there and he, he, he says the verdict and then smacks his gavel and down. And the, the verdict isn't just, you're forgiven, gavel down. Instead, he says, you're not guilty and, and smacks the, the gavel and down. And that to me, still to this day, is a very hard concept to understand. That, that I can understand the whole, you're forgiven of your sins. You've been released from the punishment of your sin. But believing in Jesus is so powerful that you can be justified. And we're going to talk about that word next week and, and this, this correlation that means that it's just as if you've never sinned, that you're innocent. The verdict is innocent. You're, you're not guilty. And then the gavelin is thrown down. And that's how we can be if we trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, that we're saved by his grace, by his gift, and, and then good works come out of that to, to wrap it up this message. Let's pray to him. Let's thank him this morning. God, we, we are humbled by you, God. Each one of us in here ha- have a story of how you've worked in our lives, how you've even led us to this moment right now in the Mill Sunday School where, where the gospel message is so awesome that we don't have to work hard enough, do better, keep doing more things for you in order to uh, obtain righteousness. 
But you have come down. You've, you've made us righteous just by our faith in you. And that's awesome. And that's, that's powerful. God, we accept it. We, we realize that we cannot come to you on our own. You are a perfect God. We, we, can, we, can, we can no longer just try hard enough to come to you. We realize that we need you, Jesus, to cover over our sins. God, we thank you for what you did. We receive it. We love you. We praise you. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, you're officially dismissed. See you in church. We'll see you here next week. Peace out.